0: Hey everybody, welcome to Between the Horns, I'm Miles Simmons, this is the official podcast of therams.com, so I'm going to be your host every week, we'll try to do this on Wednesdays. This week I've got J.B. Long with me, he's the voice of the Los Angeles Rams, you can hear him every week across the Rams radio network, J.B. how you doing?
1: I'm doing great, and uh, I'm really enjoying seeing this new studio yeah. facility that you have at your disposal. This looks fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I've seen some of the programming that you and Danny have done together in this uh, facility, along with Coach Fisher. And uh, boy, what a what a luxury to be able to hang out in here with you. So yeah. Thanks for having well, me. Well,
0: thank you for being here. No, it's it's really great. I mean, you can tell like we're doing some more stuff in here like with the all 22 for instance that we just were not able to do before especially with that touch screen behind me so i'm really excited about that but i'm also really excited about this because this is going to be a chance for us to just really talk ball and that's something i love to do so you know we're going to talk storylines we're going to talk x's and o's and we're going to look ahead we're going to look behind but really i just want to have fun with this and so that's what we're going to try to do today and that's what we're going to try to do throughout the entire thing. So I guess let's just start by looking back at that nine to three victory the Rams got sure. over the Seattle Seahawks. Um, we can start with the defensive end because anytime you know you only give up three points, I think the defense needs to be commended on that. So I'll ask you because you're in the broadcast booth, can you get a sense of how a defense is really going to be good? You know, on any given day from the jump, or was that sense for you?
1: Well, I think Coach Fisher put it best uh, on his coach's show Monday. I think he, he said something to the effect of the defense all day was arriving in a foul mood, you know, up to that last <laughs> force fumble. And there was an edge to him, wasn't there? I mean, I think part yeah. of that is responding to a, a subpar effort at San Francisco. Clearly, some of it was riding the emotion of 90,000 plus uh, people worth of support. Um, so, yes, I, I noticed that right away. I thought LaMarcus Joyner was a big part of that. I thought he had an early impact, you know, in pass coverage, but also in running support. Uh, did a nice job, and thank goodness he put his Walmart career on hold for at least uh, <laughs> one more season. Um, but the other part of it, too, is, you know, I think even in warmups, DeMarco Farr, our sideline analyst, noticed that. Wilson was less than 100%, mm-hmm. and as he took some hits from that heavy Rams defense, I think that became more and more apparent, and they, they adjusted their scheme and their attack accordingly, right. and, and he was a shadow of what we've come to know Russell Wilson as.
0: Well, I, you know what I thought it was interesting with Wilson is just the fact that even if he is limited, when Seahawks when get into that two-minute offense – they can go and they can do whatever it seems like almost they, they want to do. I mean that that coverage that Troy Hill had on Tyler Lockett in that that first pass of that that went 56 yards mm-hmm. in a two minute drill. I, I didn't think there was much that Troy Hill could have done that would have been better. It's just that when Wilson is on, he's on, and that was just the perfect kind of throw to Tyler Lockett there.
1: Yeah, and he didn't play that whole second half, too. Right. And we effectively thought he was done, and Richard Sherman was catching punts. And then, lo and behold, as they set up for that last possession, 16 and White is back out there (laughs) to fair catch one. Kudos to Hecker for kicking all six of them inside the 20 No returns. That was a big part of Sunday's win. Um, But you could almost see the Seahawks, that's a familiar territory for them. You know, Russell Wilson is the king of the fourth quarter comeback. He's got 19 of them, which is more than any QB in the league. Uh, since he was drafted in 2012, so uh, it had a familiar feel to it, and then they hit that big shot, and it's almost like, man, that's not how this is going to mm-hmm. end, is it? That That's not how the 2016 home opener, the return to LA, that's not how this is going to happen. And then just a couple of snaps later, uh, it's elation.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's what happens when you get Ogletree and Baron coming together. I mean, what was your vantage point on that fumble? How How did you call it? What was that like for you to be able to call that?
1: Well, appropriate in some ways that in a grudge match defensive struggle field position game, it's the defense that does win it right oh, sure. it, it's not yeah. like the come from behind go ahead touchdown which is not emblematic of how that game was played at all it was the bone jarring collision okay. uh with baron and ogletree arriving and uh, i felt great for alec i mean let me start by saying his 90 yard sprint down to hand the football <laughs> to his mother <laughs> is yeah. a memory that i'll never forget i'm sure he won't either in his family um but he was such a storyline coming into this season. I mean, I've been reading your stuff about Alec going from you know safety to outside linebacker right. and then outside linebacker to uh, middle linebacker and taking over for Laurenitis, who's the franchise's leading tackler, and not just the production but also the leadership. And then come to find out, you know, he's the guy that brings the team together Saturday night before the game yeah. and says, Monday night football at Levi's, that's not us. Um, to, to see him kind of come away if not with the game ball at least with the symbolic game ball and give it to his mother um hey that's a milestone yeah that is a milestone for the Los Angeles Rams
0: well for sure and just the the way that play unfolded I think we talked to Ogletree in the locker room and he says oh you know I might have even been out of position where I was in coverage and then all of a sudden the ball comes and it's like okay I see the ball gotta go hit it right and I think one of the things we've kind of had a, we haven't had a chance to see yet too much of is Ogletree and Barron and their speed and how that affects everything that the Rams can do defensively. I mean, that to me, that was one of the biggest storylines coming into this season is just the fact that, okay, this Rams defense has had Laurinaitis. It's, it's had Mark Barron doing what they've been able to do last year, but how does the speed of Barron and mm-hmm. Ogletree, how does that affect things? Well, I think we saw it on Sunday because once Christine Michael gets the ball and he's trying to go up the field, he's trying to go away from Barron and then all of a sudden Ogletree just sees it and he says, no. And those guys both converge at the same time they hit him. Ogletree does a really good job with his left hand and just kind of like scooping it in there and making sure the ball comes out and then once the ball is out, he has the presence of mind to leap on that football and make sure that the Rams, mm-hmm. you know, concealed this victory. So you're right. That was a huge, huge thing for those guys. Yeah, the
1: two linebackers in what's now the base nickel defense yes. for Los Angeles. But I think the only thing I would add to that is it's the front four who allows those guys to play so fast and so freely. Oh, yeah. Um, Aaron Donald grades out at an elite level again. Robert Quinn looks like Robert Quinn yeah. again. Um, even T.J. McDonald was, you know, coming down to the line of scrimmage and impacting plays. Mm-hmm. I thought so. Uh, all the the supplementary parts, I think, allowed those two players to arrive at the football in a, in an angry fashion and clinch the home opener. Yeah, you
0: know, let's let's talk about this defense a little bit more too, because what I've noticed in the scheme, and you know, people talk to Fisher about this a little bit too, is just the amount of different things that they're doing. Um, on this particular play where they had it, um, they, they were, Wilson is you know doing whatever he's doing, they're in shotgun Seattle, and the Rams come out, and they're in this 30 front, and what they're doing is they're using a lot of three safety sets, especially mm-hmm. on third down and those passing downs, and so now, you know, people make a lot of, oh my gosh, you know, they, they cut a Ares, it's their starting linebacker, what are they going to do, but A lot of the time what they're doing is kind of using either TJ McDonald sometimes as the sort of the third linebacker. LaMarcus Joyner will kind of line Mm -hmm. up in there as well. And so now when you get this 30 front, you, you see three safeties. So Cody Davis is all the way in the back. He's like the free safety way back there. Maurice Alexander and TJ McDonald can line up on opposite sides. There's just a lot of creative things that the Rams can do defensively. And I think that helps them a lot. When you're just going against different quarterbacks and you're showing them things that they haven't seen before.
1: Yeah, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I'm looking forward to the test in Arizona, Week Four. Mm. Um, and I say Week Four instead of this week because with Doug Martin looking like he's going to miss this week's game against Tampa Bay, I'm curious as to how much the Bucks can really come downhill yeah. and require the Rams to have that third linebacker out there. Uh, Josh Forrest appeared to be a little bit wide-eyed when he got on the field. Yeah, even in Fisher their, said that. In yeah, kind of their yeah. normal package. Um, so, I think the versatility and the defensive back-driven nature of the defense right mm-hmm. now plays well going to Tampa Bay, um, assuming that Winston is going to bounce back and, and throw it. He had a career-high pass uh, number of passing attempts last week. Glanted, <laughs> granted, they were playing from behind. Um, but to that, you add in EJ Gaines, who I think by design is supposed to be your starting quarter, corner opposite True, yes. and maybe that whole, that whole group just kind of collectively takes another step forward.
0: You would hope so, and, and I think one of the good things that we saw about that game was, uh, we brought him up earlier, Troy Hill sort of start to emerge as an option on the outside opposite yeah. Trumaine Johnson, and Troy Hill's a young, he's a young guy, he's a young cornerback, and a lot of people don't necessarily know who he is, and, yeah, you know, I had people tweet me during the game, like, where's Troy Hill? Where'd he come from? Yeah. And it's partially because he arrived with the Rams at the very, very end of last season. Like, I'm talking as late as it could possibly have been during the regular season for him to latch on. And now he's had a really good camp. He's doing good things on the outside. And I thought that even though, you know, Russell Wilson started to target him, he acquitted himself pretty nicely. You know, in that game uh, against the Seahawks, there.
1: Remember the the preseason game against the Chiefs uh, when Macklin and Joiner, right, get, yes. into, get into it and they get tossed. Yes, yeah. Um, and Hill gets thrown into a red zone situation. It, yeah. And I think Alex Smith and the Chief just kind of go. Right. Yeah. Let's go. That's going. that. That's we're where going, going at going. that guy. Mm-hmm. And he stood tall. Yeah. And, and so that's when he first caught my attention. Uh, probably helped earn his spot on mm-hmm. the fifty-three there. Um, Cramping, it seemed like, was an issue in the heat at yeah. the Coliseum. Uh, but, but he could be a valuable piece to that secondary, no doubt. And uh, and again, identified by Russell Wilson as someone that they're going to go at. Yeah. Got that matchup with Lockett. Um, so yeah, it's look, it's a work in progress, and you need more options. And I think the good news for the Rams right now is they are healthier than their opponents. They're healthier than Seattle was. They're going to be healthier than Tampa Bay is True. this week. And hopefully they're trending in a direction where they're getting pieces like Farrow and like Nelson Spruce and like EJ back. While teams like the Buccaneers are dealing with losing three starting skill guys and maybe a defensive lineman, here they are in week three.
0: Yeah, and that, that can be really tough. So I mean, you brought up two guys who could probably help the offense. Let's, let's talk about these offensive issues because... Yes, the Rams won. They did some better things offensively, um, like sustaining drives. We can start with the fact that they did not have a three and out in the second half. Is that and right? It, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good pullback. It, it is. Yeah. So, you know, because they had, I think, an eight-play drive in uh, the third quarter, and then the Seahawks actually controlled most of the clock in there. But then in the fourth quarter, they also had longer drives. I think the, the fewest plays they had in a drive was five. So, once you're talking about that, it's, you know, it's baby steps, but that's it is a positive when you can say that there are no three and outs in the second half. So, we can start there.
1: Yeah, I think one of those drives, it may even be the one you're referring to, started at their own five-yard line, yes. and even though points didn't come out of it, they got across midfield, they tilted the balance of field position, and I thought that was key to protecting their, their lead Absolutely. in the second half. One other thing I gotta point out, and I hate to be like, point the finger at the refs guy, but... The Rams probably do have a touchdown to their credit <laughs> if Richard Sherman gets flagged for pass interference in the end zone on the outbreak yeah. and out from Kenny Britt. Yeah. That was, by every definition, a blown call. Uh, if if he doesn't reach across the shoulder pad or whatever, Kenny probably makes the touchdown catch. And even if the flag comes down, it's first and goal, mm-hmm. and he really likely plunges in. So. Yeah. Um, look the, on the on the silver lining, you no know, turnovers. I think was key. Absolutely. Um, but. It's, I think it's about staying on schedule, having fewer third downs period, but also shorter yardage to go on third down. Um, I did a quick bit of research here last in terms of third down conversion in the league right now, and part of that is the fact that they've got more than seven yards to go on average on third yep, down. Yep, that um, sounds a lot like so last a, year. A to a lot, yeah, a lot of stemming, stemming back to San Francisco, and hopefully they're making some adjustments there, but It's all interrelated, right? I mean, it's 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 all part of why Todd Gurley hasn't quite broken the big one on the ground yet, why he hasn't put together a 100-yard game yet. They need more offensive snaps. They need more third-down conversions and. Again, accordingly, they need more first down opportunities.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at what they did on third down in this particular game. There were three at twelve. And you know, that's only twenty five percent. On the opposite side of that, and this is good for the defense, the the Seahawks were only four at thirty one. I mean, you look. It's it's funny. I put this in. I think five takeaways. You look at the stat sheet. There are so many similarities between the way the Seahawks played and the Rams played. It's like very, very kind of scary. I don't remember seeing like. Third down efficiency, first down, net yards rushing, offensive plays, all these different things being so similar. And I think it just goes back to how the Rams and Seahawks just match up very well against each other, and they know each other.
1: Yeah, Coach Fisher actually pointed to something that I thought was interesting, and he was asked to kind of comment on the blowout loss that Tampa Bay suffered in in, uh, Arizona. They're calling it the debacle in the desert <laughs> in, in the Sunshine State. Um, but he said to win against the NFC West, you have to have some level of familiarity with the division hmm. um, that Tampa Bay just didn't really have with Arizona. And he thought that was evident. So I bring that up to say that this is the other end of the spectrum. Right. right the yeah. intimate familiarity that the Seahawks and the Rams have. And... Uh, I'm not surprised. I saw the comparison that you're talking about, the statistical like mirror image, Seahawks and Rams. I thought that was well done by you. And, um, yeah, look, short week going to Seattle later this season, you can already forecast what that's going to look like because of how this one went.
0: Yeah, probably about the exact same, probably with some rain, though. Instead of the, the <laughs> yeah, sunniness yeah, and heat of Southern at California, least half
1: the temperature <laughs> and probably some weather. You're right.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's get let's get back to this offense though, and I think one of the things you brought up that is true. What the Rams did not capitalize on the opportunities they had in the end zone, and so that that play that you're talking about with Sherman and Britt, uh, Keenum said it after the game that he's got to get the ball there anyway because. Yeah. No matter what, you know, even if Richard Sherman does do that, well, if that's a better ball, hey, maybe Keenum, uh, excuse me, Kenny Britt is able to still make a play. And so, yes, uh, Keenum also said, you know, I like touchdowns, but I love winning. And so, yes, it's always better to correct after a a Mm -hmm. win than it is with a loss. But at a certain point, the Rams just have got to be able to get into the end zone and I think that's just the one thing they have to be focused on this week.
1: Yeah, I I tend to spin it positive. That's just my nature. And I think, look, they're one and one. And they're going through a a very difficult, road-heavy stretch of their season. And who's really had a great game so far on that side of the football? Lance? Kenny? Yeah. But, like, almost nothing from Tavon so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Case has not rated well. Uh, They haven't got Gurley going. So, you know, it's going to come, you know, whether it's like having to camp out in the end zone and just refamiliarizing themselves <laughs> with that 10 yards of territory like Jeff Fisher suggested his offensive uh, unit to do this week in practice. Um, look, maybe it's special teams or defense that breaks the ice. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised at all if in Tampa Bay – you know, it's, uh, it's a kick return or punt return for a touchdown. Maybe it's a pick six. It's just something that's going to break the ice, and then I think they're going to start the flow.
0: Yeah, I think so too. But, you know, we still have seen some positive plays. Uh, we can talk about one of them, that, that 44-yard pass down the field to Lance Kendricks. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. I thought it was a good play design because it I thought it took advantage of the fact that the Rams do know the Seahawks very well because – Seahawks—they're going to play cover three, and that when that top corner is matched up on Kenny Britt as he was, it basically signals, okay, you're going to have this one-on-one matchup, right? Yeah. And once that happens, Kenny Britt's kind of like running them off and runs them to the inside of the numbers, and then Kendricks kind of gets lost in that play action toward the beginning of the toward the beginning of the line of scrimmage and he's able to go on the sort of backside of the flow, and then, boom, he's wide open because everybody kind of loses track of him. That's the kind of play design that I think is creative and that the Rams can kind of build upon going forward.
1: I like the way they use play action and the way they used it early. And you know, Normally, you have to establish the run to mm-hmm. get a defense to respect your play action. Right. But when you have 30, it's built in that, yes. that respect. And that,
0: and that, I think, is really one of the things that the Rams are just going to have to deal with all year long, right? The fact that, okay... Everybody respects your run game, and they respect it so much that you just have to make plays on the outside. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know. The only way it seems like Gurley is going to get some good running lanes mm-hmm. is if the Rams allow, is if the Rams make teams respect the passing game on the outside.
1: And he got to the outside himself. That 19-yard mm-hmm. screen. You know, we're looking at yeah. the rushing totals almost exclusively here. But that was an area of focus for Todd going from year one to year two, and that was one of the more dynamic plays of week two. Um, Back to Lance for just a second, because with Cook moving on, I think a lot of the focus was on drafting Higby, Mm -hmm. and he looked like, uh, what did Todd call him, little baby Gronk? Oh, little baby Gronk, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, you know, he comes out, he has a nice week one of the preseason, and you can kind of see, you know, maybe less in the Rams got a steal here in the draft Mm -hmm. and got an undervalued player. Uh, he hasn't sh- he hasn't shown up yet. He got the quick two yard catch at San Francisco, and instead it's been Kendricks who's really I think filled that void. And I think they need that from Lance, and they also need a second tight end to step up. Yeah. Because if you want to throw over the middle, in addition to playing the perimeter like you're talking about, it helps to be able to put you know two to one side or oh, one yeah. on each end of the line, and they're big visible targets. Uh, so against you know taller defensive fronts like we saw from mm-hmm. San Francisco. We know Case isn't the tallest quarterback. I think it's a nice hybrid to have those guys maybe pushing the seams and then Farrow and Tavon. And, and you can see how yeah, it all kind of comes together. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And and that's a part of getting guys healthy. And really, I, I think it's only a matter of time before we start to see Higby emerge. Because just seeing him every day at practice, every day they do when they would do the seven-on-seven seven drills in the red zone, that that's Higby time, right? Once you get down there and you can see this big guy, this big-bodied target, that's where he's going to make a lot of plays. And, and I, I, do, I think it's only a matter of time before we really start to see him emerge like that.
1: And excuse me for stirring anything up. There's nothing to this comment <laughs> other than I think the fact that they're in the same draft class and rookie quarterbacks tend to benefit from having rookie tight ends yes. as talented pass catchers. If and when Jared Goff starts taking snaps as the Rams quarterback... I think that's the guy that he's going to look for. I
0: think so, too. And, well, I I don't think that's baseless to say that. We we saw that in the preseason, right? right? You know, he's trying to go to Higby. I remember one time I asked him in some press conference, um, you know, it seems like you have good chemistry with this guy. Why is that? And he first pointed to the fact that they were roommates in training camp. So I don't know exactly how that, you know, can make you establish chemistry on the field. But I guess if you're studying together, if you can – bring you know kind of a sense of trust that you have off the field onto the field that can't hurt you
1: there are plenty of examples of kind of quarterback tight end draft pairings uh the one we're looking at this weekend with austin safarian jenkins and Jameis winston is one that comes to mind so again just looking down the road a little bit you know Obviously, we all think and expect that Higby can impact games while Case is still a quarterback, mm-hmm. and this is not to suggest that Case isn't looking his way or would be hesitant to throw him the football. Not at all. Right. I'm just saying that long-term, you can see how the pairing of Jared and Tyler might work.
0: All right, so before we move on from this game, there's one, one more thing I want to talk about from this. And this You brought up Marcus Joyner earlier, and I thought he had a really, really good game too. Um, one of the plays I thought was maybe the most impactful was when he... Knock the ball out of Doug Baldwin, and it was third and ten. And they were toward midfield, and that's in the fourth quarter. And so if he doesn't knock that ball out there, it becomes, what, fourth and four, fourth yeah. and five. And who knows? Maybe the Seahawks go for it there because they're close to midfield. Maybe they get the drive going, and who knows? Maybe they score a touchdown, and we get a totally different game.
1: I think my back is still hurting on behalf of Doug Baldwin <laughs> because of the hit that Lamarcus put between his yes. shoulder
0: blades. Yes, no question. And so what with Lamarcus Joyner though, this was brought up on the TV broadcast and then it also got brought up with you guys on uh, the Fisher Show on Monday night. Mm-hmm. Lamarcus Joyner's playing with a broken toe. Like that is very, very painful. And for him to be able to go out there and still do what he's doing, like that's very commendable.
1: I have blacked out and broken a coffee table carrying a bowl of cereal in my own apartment simply dislocating a toe. Wow. Much less breaking a toe. So I have the utmost respect for the pain that LaMarcus was able to play through. I do not know how he managed to make that work at the peak of competition. Um, But yeah, that's all the... That's all I'll say about playing with a broken
0: toe. Well, no, I mean, that, cause that was my next question was, <laughs> have you ever broken a toe? And if you, even if you have not. Maybe
1: it was broken, but uh, <laughs> all I got out of it was a spilt bowl of Cheerios and uh, and a new coffee table. All right,
0: so. Well, I mean, yeah, that, those things tend to happen. I don't know. I once, when I, it was my 22nd birthday party, so I was in college. and This is already a good start. I Well, yeah. And so, you know, you're doing what college kids do. You're having a party. You're having a good time. We're playing music. And um, the Journey song, Love and Touch and Squeezin' comes on, mm-hmm. and I love that song. I think it's an awesome song.
1: Big Journey guy in general, or just that particular? Um,
0: there, are a few, there are a few good okay. Journey songs that I really, really like, That, but that, that's one of them. And so, you know, when the Sea Perry goes, now it's your turn, girl, to cry, and then there's like a big boom, right? So, you know, me being a 22-year-old, I thought it was a great idea to kick a chair and really emphasize the oomph of that moment. And I don't know that I broke any toes on that, but I can tell you that like my toes were hurting, not the big one, but probably all of the rest of them for a good mm, month, month and a half afterwards. So I probably would not have wanted to play football after that. So again, like I really want to commend Michael Marcus Joyner for going out there playing with broken toes and a broken toe, I should say, and making sure that he is there for his teammates I wanted
1: to commend you by <laughs> getting to journey and a college story in the first what half hour of the between the horns podcast that's that's well done by you well um, while we're doing confessions and before we leave Sunday's game um, there's a little rams radio behind the scenes too that I that I thought I could offer and okay. that is uh, we get off the air and I can just look at you know at our production team that they just have guilty kind of downtrodden looks on their faces and i'm thinking man didn't the Rams just win the home <laughs> opener what's what's wrong with you guys and they, they kind of said well jb this happened during halftime we're all having you know the chili dogs that the la coliseum is known yeah, for good. uh we didn't want to tell you during the game we thought it might disrupt you i'm just guys just lay it on me what what happened They're like well you see your bag over there i just have like a brown leather mm-hmm. whatever satchel that i put my papers and laptop in and there's a big yellow mustard stain <laughs> has a little little chili to it and i was like folks this could, you picked the best moment to mess with this bag because one i don't care and two let's just enjoy the <laughs> um but subsequently we have decided that every win this season should be commemorated by spilling some food or drink item on that bag oh. just so we can see by the end of this season <laughs> what it looks like and then whether or not someone in management will step up and replace it. Oh, there you after, go. After the Well, season. now you so, put
0: that out there publicly. Yes. So whoever is the big wig who's going to buy JB a new bag mm-hmm. at the end of the season, yes. please buy JB a new bag and buy me one too.
1: And week three, uh, you've been to Raymond James Stadium. You know yes, that I uh, have, at yeah. least when I was there covering the Bucks, Bananas Foster yes. is their Ooh, yes. Halftime, oh, man,
0: right? I hadn't even thought about that. Like, no oh. one even
1: watches the – like from the two-minute drill on, like everyone in the press just gets up and says, "Whatever happens between now and yeah. halftime, we'll figure it out." And they go line up for bananas Foster. So, should the Rams get a win this week, I want to have just a little cup of bananas Foster <laughs> to spill on the bag.
0: Make sure don't like, don't make it a big cup. You know, like I will, I would eat the bananas Foster that would not be spilled on the bag. So, a funny story about that. Like, the last time um, the Rams went to Raymond James was in 2014. So, this was like my second or third game covering the team for, for the, the website. And there was a big rain delay. And so, it was either right at the end of the first half or at the beginning, of the second, I don't remember, but they brought out the Bananas Foster. And that was my first experience with the Bananas Foster there. And everybody was kind of like, oh, my gosh, it's not halftime yet. What are we doing? But they brought us the Bananas Foster, so they would keep the media at bay.
1: Let's hope we keep lightning and weather at bay. this yes, weekend, seriously. Because there's nothing more disruptive to a football game than, than a weather delay. Well, not I, was, only uh, that. Yeah. I was in South Florida when uh, Skip Holtz, son of Lou Holtz, and the USF Bulls weathered several rain delays to beat my alma mater, Notre Dame, in the 2000. What would that have been? uh 11 opener okay 10 opener yeah i guess um anyway sorry to take the between the horns podcast and completely derail it with no, uh, okay. with journey and food i
0: did de- i derailed and, it with journey that's fine no. uh
1: where did you plan to go next we
0: well yeah let's reset this is the between the horns podcast i'm miles sims i'm here with jb long and we're talking about this upcoming matchup now between the Los Angeles Rams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, first question I always like to ask people um, uh, that you know may cover the team, may do whatever um, in terms of media when it looks of, when you're looking at upcoming matchups. What scares you the most?
1: Well, I, I think it's miles. It's just the pendulum effect of the NFL hmm. that we experience firsthand. You know, going from twenty-eight nothing at Levi's to nine-three at the Coliseum, mm-hmm. uh, the margin for victory and, and the margin for error is so, so razor-thin that any kind of mental, motivational, competitive advantage I think is so valuable. And so the fact that Tampa Bay has got a, a solid road win in Atlanta, and then just like we called it before. A debacle in the desert, that they're now coming home to play their home opener, and they have a tremendous sense of urgency because after Los Angeles, they play the two reigning conference champions. They get the Super Bowl participants Mm -hmm. in Denver and then at Carolina next. So I think the sentiment inside one buck place is this is, if not a must win, I can't lose. And so that concerns me. Just like when you get Jameis Winston coming off a five turnover performance, you figure Just by the very nature, this thing is going to swing the other way, which is not to say that it's going to be a win necessarily for Tampa Bay, but this that they're not going to have anything even remotely resembling the effort that they gave in Arizona. Right,
0: yeah. I, I think the biggest thing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and this is probably going to be this way for the next 15 years, is always going to be Jameis Winston. That guy can sling the football. And... What I thought was interesting, going back to last year's matchup between uh, the Rams and Tampa Bay, which was referred to um, by uh, Jameis Winston today on this conference call sure. as the ketchup versus mustard it game. It was colorful. It was very colorful. And mustard, you know, Team Mustard, you guys know on Twitter, I'm Team Mustard. So Heim that was should good. have
1: sponsored it. We should, <laughs> if, if only the Pittsburgh Steelers had been involved.
0: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so Jameis, I, I think he's going to have a rebound game. There, there's no question about yeah. that. and. One of the things I noticed last year from him is just his ability to make in-game adjustments. I think what the Rams did at the start of that was to show Jameis all kinds of different looks that he probably had never seen before. And Greg Williams, obviously, uh, defense coordinator of the Rams, he does a really good job of that regardless. But you cannot keep Jameis down for too, too long. Like, this game that was against the Cardinals in Week 2, I think that was an anomaly just because of his ability to throw and his ability to bring teams back. Did you see um, that clip of him uh, that they had when he was at that Florida State game, I think in week one, when he was in the locker room? Did you happen to see that? No.
1: He addressed the Seminoles. Yes, oh, yeah. Okay. So he no,
0: was in the it. locker room and he's talking to them. And I can't remember who the Seminoles were playing in week one, but it doesn't matter. He he basically called them everybody out and he goes, we're not, we're not puppies, we some dogs, man. And like, that's just... That's Jameis, and so when he's on the field, when he's able to use his crazy good leadership abilities, it's going to be a really hard, you're going to have a really hard time of keeping him down throughout the entire game.
1: You were on the conference call out of town with him. Was it? yes yeah, This morning. Yeah. yeah it was this morning. I, I read the, the quotes from that, so I'll just kind of read to you for this. It seemed like the trend of questions was related to Jared Goff being a number one pick. Yeah, and, and, it was, which I think it. is weird, but it right. is what it is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're they're much different in terms of their style of right. quarterbacking. But one of the I guess pearls of wisdom that he would indirectly offer Jared is one of the one of the priorities for him was winning over the locker room. Right? Yes. He's the number one pick. He's got the biggest paycheck he needs to find a way to relate to his teammates. So that, that I'll kind of just lead you back into that conversation and how important that is and how quickly he's done it for the,
0: Yeah, but that's just him. I mean, even going back to that, that was it, the BCS still when they won the championship. Yeah. Yeah. Over Auburn. And then, you know, you could just see with LaMarcus joining. Yes, exactly. And you could just see all these really strong leadership qualities. I, I think that's really respectable, but it's not just the leadership. Clearly it's the way he goes out on the field and he just does it. And he makes these really good throws and one of his best targets is mike evans and when you have a guy who is as big as mike evans i think he's 6 5 like 240 got crazy big wingspan that's why you see Jameis winston go after the or go to this guy as much as he does i mean if you look at last week uh Jameis winston targeted mike evans 18 times that's an incredible amount of targets for one guy over the entire game. And Mike Evans only ended up with six receptions, which is, I think, tells you the sort of incongruity of the way this matchup went.
1: Well, and the fact that Patrick Peterson is an that elite cover yes, coverman. absolutely. Um, he, had a, he had one of, what, four interceptions, I think, that Arizona yeah. pulled down off, off of Jameis. Um, you know, I think it was very clever of the Rams to go out and get Cody Sensabaugh specifically in the offseason to play against Jameis Winston because <laughs> if memory serves, he had a pick six yes. on Winston's very first professional it throw. Yes, was, yes. Uh, so I, I'm sure that Cody at some point during warm-ups will have an opportunity to maybe graze shoulders with Jameis and just let him know that he's in the building on Sunday. That's funny. Um, but yeah, Evans is a great piece. Uh, I think this week it's almost more about what isn't there for Tampa Bay. Uh, we talked, sure. uh, alluded to, I think the Doug Martin injury, and man, just across the NFL. What about the rash of oh, injuries Three two weeks? Uh, AD, yeah. um, most notably, uh, the, the quarterback situations in Cleveland and, oh, and don't, New England. Don't, don't remind me about that one. Um, <laughs> anyway, but uh, two other injuries that I think are notable, and I, I did read that neither of these players practiced today, which is a pretty strong indication of where they're at mm-hmm. in terms of uh, week three. Cecil Shorts, who's also instrumental in their return game, uh, is likely down, and then they're kind of uh, downhill run-blocking tight end, Luke Stocker as well, also uh, injured in terms of a skill position player. So uh, this all kind of started with Jameis and what he's able to do. Uh, part of me is always concerned when a quarterback kind of comes into a game thinking that it's, that it's his game to sure, win or lose because, yeah. because he does have that ability, not just throwing it but scrambling and picking up third downs, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of take that on his shoulders, take a team on his shoulders and win a game.
0: Yeah, so before we, we got started here, you were sort of telling us about Gerald McCoy and yeah. how he has sort of emerged into a player that maybe people didn't necessarily think he could be before.
1: Yeah, I was in Tampa Bay when he was drafted and, and for his first couple of seasons, and I actually knew him from his days at Oklahoma, and he was just a phenomenal, like disruptive player in mm-hmm. the Big 12. But he was a bit of a slow starter in the NFL. Part of it is the position and the role that he was playing in that defense. Part of it was his inability to stay healthy. But, you know, as I left in, I guess, 2012, I did not expect Gerald McCoy to be a perennial Pro Bowl player. I don't think anyone did. Uh, I knew that he had the talent. But whether or not he was going to be healthy enough to put together 16-game seasons – that was very much in doubt. And then here we kind of come full circle. And so many of us in the Rams organization have connections to Tampa Bay. And you look up, and Gerald McCoy is one of the most dependable defensive line players, you know, right there with with Aaron Donald and Sue.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really interesting now, just the simple fact that he is really one of these premier defensive tackles. When you talk about Donald, Sue, Uh, Geno Atkins in Cincinnati. McCoy is right there up with these guys, and I think he just has this kind of ability to go in the backfield and blow up run plays, blow up your passing plays, and that's something that the Rams' offensive line is definitely going to have to key in on this week. It's
1: going to be a big one for the offensive line, and I think that they took a step forward from week one to week two, and I think it's really important that they take another one from two Absolutely. to three. Hey, look, we, you can load the box as much as you want. In the NFL, you still need to be able to create running lanes for someone like Gurley. Uh, your, your question originally about what scares you about this week's matchup with Tampa Bay just brought something back to mind as we switched to the defensive side of the football, and that is they're one of three teams, I think, in the NFL that have not created a turnover yet. Mm-hmm. Again, back to the pendulum thing. Law of averages, right? Yeah. They're they're going to be out for the football. That you know that their coaches all week long are drilling that into them. We gotta create more possessions. Uh, so it's something that going on the road again, I think the, the Rams' offensive players, the skill position players in particular, need to be really cognizant of.
0: Well, yeah, especially with um, Mike Smith, who's now their defensive coordinator. Of course, um, Tampa Bay has got sort of a new coaching staff, but also sort yeah. of not a new coaching staff, which is interesting because uh, Dirk Cutter, who is their head coach now, he, of course, was the offensive coordinator last year. And then for Levy. Yes, for Levy mm-hmm. Smith, who they parted ways with. Levy is now in Illinois, right, as the head Correct. coach? Correct, Yes, and so now what they've done is they got rid of Leslie Frazier on the defensive side of the ball. I think he's the secondary coach now in Baltimore. You bring in Mike Smith, who uh, Cutter had some familiarity with because they were on the same coaching staff in Jacksonville. And then also, I think, um, Mike Smith brought him over to Atlanta, and (laughs) they were working together as well. So these guys have familiarity, and that's one of the things Mike Smith... Is a good defensive coordinator. He doesn't necessarily have the pieces that he's had in other places. They're still a pretty young group. Uh, middle linebacker, fifty-eight. Gosh, and now his name escapes me. But he's another one of those Quan guys Alexander. who's he's Quan a beast. Alexander, yes, tied he is. for the
1: most tackles in the NFL. Yes,
0: and he's re- he's a good young linebacker. He's a good young piece for Mike Smith to build around down there. And. He is going to be one of those guys that's going to be matched up with Todd Gurley, presumably, because you know when you get right. that middle linebacker, you can get that running back, they're going to have a lot of collisions.
1: And he's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, reasons why Tampa Bay opponents are only averaging three yards per carry mm-hmm. on the ground, and that's the Atlanta Falcons, and that's a very good stable of running backs in Arizona yeah. uh, that they've played so
0: far. Yeah, you know, that game obviously did not go as well as they would have liked in Arizona for Tampa Bay, but they did make some good plays. They made some impact plays, and I I think Alexander definitely made some well. But just
1: to go back to that nugget, like, Arizona's dominating that game. I mean, right. they're just pounding it, you know, from a big lead. And the fact that, you know, the, the season average through two games is still just three yards, third lowest in the NFL in mm-hmm. terms of run against average by Tampa Bay, I think shows, and you've you correctly identified the two kind of spine pieces there, Gerald and Quan. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... It, Look, these are the kind of challenges you, ro- you want, right? Like when you're when you're identifying an area of weakness in your offense that you're trying to improve week to week, you don't want to go you know, trample someone who just can't, <laughs> can't <laughs> handle that aspect because that gives you false results. This will be a really good precursor, I think, for going back into the NFC West in Arizona in Week 4.
0: Absolutely. So let's, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the Rams' injuries because we had some good news come out of – Um, I guess we'll call it Rams Park now. I don't know really what Rams headquarters up there is. Is that at Cal Lutheran?
1: Is is that what it is? I don't know. I'm, I'm dubbing
0: it Rams Park now. So have you taken,
1: have you taken a hike or a jog up the hills behind?
0: When do you think I have time to do Uh, that? Yeah,
1: it was, it was was something I had hoped to do today. So I was just going to pick your, your brain if you had done that. But yeah, uh, no,
0: it's very picturesque up there. I like it. It's cool.
1: No, it's, it's a great setting. Uh, the field is kind of settling in, the facility. Yeah. Uh, you, you have a great amount of respect for what the personnel, the players, the coaches, the staff have done in the last several months, oh, yeah. adjusting to, again, new surroundings.
0: For sure. So let's get back on track here with these these injuries. Um, Nelson, Spruce, Ferro, Cooper, EJ Gaines had some good news come out about those guys um i guess monday it was when fisher was at his press conference and he said that there's a chance for those guys to get back on the practice field this week not necessarily guaranteeing anything about their game availability and we'll know that probably more um, on friday but it's just good to see those guys start to get back in it because as you said earlier you know ej gaines is really the starting cornerback for this team and he hasn't played a game now in a really really long time we're going all the way back to week 16 of the 2014 season and when you have farrow cooper and nelson spruce those guys are guys who can be really good contributors to the offense and help improve there
1: yeah if they're up for this week great um if they're able to just get their feet wet and kind of knock off some of that rust, so much the better. I mean, Farrow has not played a lot of professional football, right? Right, Let, Let's yeah. face it, um, <laughs> even with his limited availability in the preseason, Nelson Spruce even to even a greater extent. Yeah. And you've mentioned the time lapse for EJ, but I think ahead of the receiving core in week four at Arizona, and, and it, I think that's the one where you really need EJ oh, for. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I, I really like the roles that Nelson and Farrell can play in this offense. You know, I covered Nelson in his time at Colorado. He's the Pac 12's all time leading receiver, as we know. I uh, was not the least bit surprised that he carved out a niche for mm-hmm. himself on this 53 man roster despite playing parts of what, just two quarters in the preseason. Yeah. Uh, he's someone who's precise, who's driven, he's motivated, he doesn't put the football on the ground. And I think he's someone who can just elevate, you know, the, the whole receiving core for los angeles Um, and then pharaoh i mean i don't even really need to say anything the look in the eyes of the coaches who work with pharaoh cooper Mm -hmm. and the possibility of him coming back trust me on this one that says all we need to know about his potential
0: i agree and it's funny you know talking to pharaoh in the locker room on tuesday after practice basically he he, he's re- he feels like he's ready to play, but he knows why he's not able to play yet. Because, you know, you're in that stage when you're injured and you think, man, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready to go, and I think that's where he is. But at the same time, it's probably not completely healed yet, and so you've got to sort of temper that and temper everything. But he said it's particularly frustrating for him when he sees guys working every single day. These are his teammates, and he's not out there. I mean, for him and, and Nelson Spruce, really, talking to him, both of those guys, it said that they've never really had to deal with being injured before. And so when you're hurt like that, and it takes you out for what's your first training camp into your first regular season, I imagine that's pretty tough mentally.
1: Yeah, I just kind of go back to the fact that that whole room needs to be more competitive and oh, needs yeah. to be elevated. It's no secret from where they were last no, year to this year to have some new uh, pieces join that group and push the the whole entity, I think, is is necessary, and you can't talk about the injury to Coop without remembering the play that led to the injury for Coop, which uh, is probably one of the greatest catches in the 2016 NFL preseason that he made in Denver. So uh, if that's a sign of what's to come, I I think it's worth forecasting when he might be back on the field.
0: Absolutely. All right, so let's, let's sort of start to wrap things up here a little bit, at least previewing the game. What are some of the things you would like to see from the Rams offensively and defensively?
1: I just I'd like to see him grab an early lead again. I thought that was was critical, you know, getting the football after Seattle deferred and taking it down the field, getting Case some rhythm throws. It just it allows you to I think to come out and run the scripted portion of your game plan without really being concerned about you know field position or, or what the the opposing offense did early and how that impacted the score. Um, I would love to see the Rams get the first possession and kind of establish that again, um, and then uh, playing from the lead because I think that gets Gurley more carries, yes. and I really think he only needs, we're talking about three or four more carries per game than he received against the 49ers mm-hmm. or the Seahawks before the two, the three, the four turns into six, eight, ten, maybe 30 in a touchdown. Yeah,
0: yeah. no, I agree with you there. I, I think, at least for the offense, you got to get some stuff going in the passing game because you know that no matter what, and I think, is again, it's going to be with every opponent, they're going to come in and they're going to say, we're not going to let Todd Gurley beat us. And so because of that, if you can get some things going on the outside early with the Tavon Austin, with Kenny Britt, that's really going to help things open up on the inside with Todd Gurley. And hey, maybe even if you go up the scene like you were talking about before with a guy like Tyler Higbee, with a guy like Lance Kendricks, then those things are probably going to help take care of themselves. And then I guess defensively, you know, talk to Tremaine Johnson a little bit in the locker room on uh, Tuesday afternoon as well. And I think one of the things he said was that he, he's looking forward to the challenge of playing Jameis Winston because when you have a guy like that, you're going to get opportunities. You know, Jameis Winston, again, went to Mike Evans 18 times last game. And Mike Evans was mostly being covered by Patrick Peterson, mm-hmm. widely regarded as one of the best corners in the league. So if we see that kind of thing again, there's going to be some opportunities for Trumaine Johnson to come down with a play.
1: No, I think that's a good point, and uh, it's it's got to be exciting to be a number one corner in the league no matter what, because every team has a Mike Evans, yes. right? And so you oh, just yeah. know uh, going in that, uh, especially against an aggressive throw at you kind of quarterback like Jameis, True's going to have his chance, chances to get some hands on some footballs, and you know Patrick Peterson got his interception last week, and uh, I, I forget what the actual number is, I can look it up here, but most interceptions since 2012, which was True's rookie season, yeah. Richard Sherman leads the way, and then it's true, and it's Patrick Peterson. So, mm-hmm. I guess Peterson's total is now at 16, and True's <laughs> at 50. So, you know he wants to get level with oh that, yeah. right? He wants to get his back. Um, if, if I may, I just threw this out sure. on, on Twitter this week to, to go back to uh, the, the offense for a second. I'm just curious if fans expect a touchdown this week, and if so, how many? Um, so, oh no. uh, close to 100 responders so far. 7% do not think that they will get a touchdown. Twenty-three percent think one touchdown. Nearly fifty percent are expecting two offensive touchdowns right. this week, and, a, and an optimistic twenty-one percent say three or more. Do you have a, a sense on that, or, or alternatively, just to throw a question at you, who do you think will be responsible for, for the, the first, first touchdown? Rams touchdown. Ooh, that's a good 2016? question.
0: I mean, if I'm a betting man, I would probably say Todd Gurley. That's the easy one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because even if you get down into the red zone. Then that's something that you know is going to be good. But all right, I, here's my my dark horse. Yeah, give me a Trumaine give me the funky Johnson
1: on a pick six. Yes. All right, so you're just tying that all together. Yes, I here. am. Wow. <laughs> I, and I I kind of I was talking to someone too. I, I think it's going to be something funky. I think it, a defensive score, maybe a block field goal return, That'd maybe cool. it's a special teams uh, touchdown that that kind of breaks the ice. Or maybe it's case Keenum running one in yeah for ooh, some I like reason, that too. I, I woke up this morning thinking case scrambling or maybe on a little QB draw out of the shotgun okay we'll go we'll, we'll check back next week and, all right well, well if that happens
0: that then one. we were definitely going to come to you for the lottery numbers that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm gonna do so all right but before we wrap this one up since this is the first one and it's the first time that you are here with us I, I well, let's do a couple getting to know you questions Uh-oh. and uh, I know, like, I am I hate icebreakers. Like, yeah. anybody who knows me, like, I really, really detest them. But mm-hmm. I guess we'll kind of, you know, maybe make something work right now just so that it's not really an icebreaker, but, like, it's actually something that would break the ice. So, um, the first thing I think I'll ask you is, why did you want to be the voice of the L.A. Rams?
1: Is there anyone listening who would not want to be the, vo- <laughs> the voice of the Rams? I, I mean, I, I think of it as as a tremendous honor and... Uh, something that uh, I always aspired to professionally uh, there's in our industry there's nothing like being the voice of a team because it allows you to an hopefully a long-term relationship with a fan base yeah. that in a way that uh, say Joe Buck on Fox or uh, someone else in our profession is, is unable to because they're in a different city doing a different matchup every week sure. and they're their job is to be impartial. And, and when I'm doing TV on the college side, that's kind of what I've become accustomed to as well. Whether you win or lose, your dinner tastes the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's something about that that's nice and that's comfortable. But if you're a competitor and if, if you've ever had team affiliation, if you've ever played sports, you miss riding the highs and the lows. Sure. And <laughs> I'm not sure that uh, there's been a better example of that than what we've been through the first two weeks. 28 yeah. uh in the opener and then winning your return to Los Angeles for the first time in 22 years. So uh, th- those things, um, in addition to staying in California where I was born and raised um, and, and joining the Rams at just a incredible relaunching phase of their, of their franchise... Uh, it, all, it all made sense, obviously. I mean, it was, it was, the decision wasn't mine, believe you me, but it, it all made sense from my end.
0: Excellent. All right, so um, I'll ask you another one. What is one of your favorite memories that is a family-friendly thing to share from your time at Notre Dame?
1: So, I, I, obviously, if Notre Dame, it has to do with football. Um, I'm not surprised. I had the distinction of having four coaches in my four years in South Bend I had the last year of Bob Davey mm-hmm. he got fired they brought in George O'Leary his resume did not stand up that didn't last very long uh, they got Tyrone Willingham from Stanford and then they hired Charlie Weiss my last semester so h- how many uh, college students at, at a power football program or institution like Notre Dame could say they had four separate oh, coaches probably officially? Not many. During, yeah, that's cool. um, we did not win many games <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that, that pr- that's probably what stands out uh, from my time at Notre Dame. That's uh, cool. Don't wrap this up before I get a chance to throw one back at you, but okay. You tell me when the time is appropriate. All
0: right. Well, do do, do one for me, and then I'll, I'll ask you my last question, which is I've just decided is going to be like the best question ever for me to end Okay, with. fair enough. Uh,
1: so topic <laughs> of conversation in the Rams office this week has been pet peeves. Okay. Our, our czar of broadcasting, Jory Hirsch, uh, has been kind enough to share a few of them with me. Um, I think one interesting one that might appeal uh, to our audience, the Starbucks cream, milk, sugar station. <laughs> okay. That is not, in Jory's mind, that is not a place to camp out. That
0: it's not? A, no, that's that true. Yeah. a place yeah. to
1: fill up and go. Yes. And he almost feels like there should be a shot clock on the Ooh. Starbucks uh, cream this milk and, and sugar This is good. I like station. this. I like this idea. Um, I'll share mine and then I'm going to pose it to All you. All right. Actually, I have two because one just came up today. Okay, cool. Um, the baggage carousel should have a buffer zone at the airport.
0: Like, if, like for the bags or for the people? For the people. Okay.
1: There is no reason that your knees need to be touching the baggage carousel <laughs> until your bag comes on to the baggage carousel. <laughs> if we all stand back three yards, we can all see our bag, and we can all successfully grab our bag.
0: Here's I another. feel like this is a much bigger problem at LAX than it has been at other airports. Oh yeah, where yeah, I yeah, of course. Okay, fair.
1: Um, and then we have an ice maker, and I, I didn't even realize that this was a, an actual thought or opinion that I had, but it struck me today that you know how an ice maker has a, a scoop in it, right? Yes. And and if you are if you were to stick your cup, a clean cup into the ice maker yes. and, and fill it with ice without using the scooper, that would be frowned upon <laughs> because who wants your hand in their ice maker? But it struck me as odd that we're all okay with putting our hand on the scooper and then throwing the scooper back in with all of the ice forever. Well,
0: there's a place that the scooper is supposed to be. Yes. There's there's a, like, a, I don't, I want to call it a handle, but that's not what it is. It's like a spot. There, in there, that is a little. It's surrounded by a metal thing. As we now tell all the people that what but fair, how, fair how things warning. work at the Rams fair, office. Fair here. warning to our
1: fellow <laughs> our fellow employees. I do not know where that little metal thing. Oh, is. Oh, so you're the culprit. So, so there you So go. yeah. So we're going okay. to talk
0: about pet peeves. My pet peeve is people who go. use the ice maker and don't know how no, to no, use no, no, the no, ice no. maker. Don't, don't fall back on that
1: one. <laughs> Surely the Between the Horns podcast deserves an original pet
0: peeve to help. get Oh, get to I know have those. a lot of pet peeves. Um. Mm, man, this is harder than I would think it should be. Um, I don't like it when people take a long time at Chipotle. That's a lame pet peeve, I feel like, yeah, but it is a pet peeve.
1: The only exception to that is if you want to shake up Chipotle, if you're like me and this is your third trip to Chipotle this week. Um, <laughs> and I have like that. And, and you're trying to decide how you can freshen things up. That might cause a delay of
0: game penalty. Exactly. There we go. All right. So here's here's the last question, and this is, I think, very, very vitally important for our relationship going forward, JB. Okay. On a hot dog, Uh is ketchup an acceptable condiment?
1: Do you want my truthful answer, or do you want my answer that will preserve this relationship? No,
0: I want your truthful answer. (laughs) <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot, and I'm going to embarrass you on Twitter if it's the wrong answer. I
1: fully acknowledge and respect the standard of mustard and that hot dog traditionalists <sighs> uphold that standard. Oh, However, I think it's indisputable that ketchup also tastes very good and appropriate on hot dogs.
0: Oh, oh man.
1: All right. But as we've discussed, well- chili dogs are the only appropriate form <laughs> of Rams hot dogs and they should be spilled on anyone's bag.
0: All right, well, there you have it. J.B. Long is absolutely wrong about hot dogs, everybody. And with that, let's bring the first Between the Horns podcast to a close. J.B., why don't you tell the people what you got going on in the next couple of days?
1: Uh, let's see. Thursday has Rams All Access on ESPN Los Angeles 710. You can also use your ESPN app for that. Uh, DeMarco Far, Maurice Jones, Drew, and I will preview uh, week three if you want some more of that content. And then we'll talk to you from Tampa Bay.
0: Excellent. Be sure to check out Rams Nation, Rams 360. It's going to be on abc7 this saturday night at nine o'clock 9 30 you can check those out and we hope to see you at the next rams game which is not until october we will see you there at the coliseum but until then we'll check you out next wednesday right here on the between the horns podcast i'm miles simmons for jb long thank you very much for joining me on this one we will see you next week